Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated. Good to see you today. Good to see you. If you have a copy of God's Word today, turn with us to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew's Gospel chapter 13. And we are going to be talking today about what is often referred to as a parable of the sower. Finishing today our sermon series. Thank you, Randy. Our sermon series today on the overcomer. And having said that, I made a statement a couple of weeks ago that about got me in a lot of trouble making a statement that everyone in my house is getting pregnant. So having said that, I want to clear that up. I am not pregnant. My wife is not pregnant. Hallelujah. Hey, Amen. Praise the Lord. Lord Jesus. Uh, however, Tyler and Maggie, well, not Tyler and Maggie, but Maggie is, is pregnant. Y'all wave at us over there from the window. Y'all give them a big hand. They're, they're pregnant. They're having their second one. Ashley and Keith, y'all come on around the little corridor there. Y'all come on and poke your head out. They lead worship each week and share with you. Uh, come on out. I didn't tell you to stop there. I mean, if you're going to get pregnant, dude, at least come out here and own it. You know what I'm saying? Okay, that was a little weird. But anyway, y'all face the congregation. I just want to say how proud of, of these two that I am. And uh, they've uh, given their life over to ministry and serving the Lord, given up their home and some other things that they're doing just to be able to do that uh, as a volunteer. And I appreciate their heart. And they are expecting a uh, baby. So y'all give them a big hand. All right. Love y'all. Uh, Pastor David and uh, Catherine, if y'all would stand up. They're not pregnant. It's just their anniversary, y'all. Come on. Y'all stand up real quick and wave at us. Come on. They're not pre- Are y'all pregnant? Okay, I just wonder. Y'all give them a hand. It's their three-year anniversary. Anybody in the house today want to say they're pregnant? We're growing the church by leaps and bounds today. You know, it's good to come into God's house and be able to laugh and to smile. The Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine. Amen. So I want everybody in here on the count of three. I want you to smile real big. One, two, three. Punch your neighbor, look at him, look at him, punch your neighbor, look at him, say, you better smile. Now look to your neighbor today and say, I, I prayed all week I would sit next to you. Go ahead and tell him that. Now look to the one that you didn't care so much about and say, I'm glad you're here too. The parable of the sower, finishing the Overcomer series. I want to bring a message to you today entitled Overcoming the Dirt. Overcoming the dirt. I didn't realize when I wrote that title, my wife told me, she said, I, I like, kind of like the sound of that. Well, it's not really what you think. However, let me go ahead and put a little sub point in here that, you know, sometimes we just got to overcome the difficulties of this life. Sometimes we got to rise above the dirt, amen? we got to go beyond the scope of what we see with our natural eyes and be like those who can open our spiritual eyes and say, there might be a lot going on around me, but watch this. Those things don't move me. I love the way Paul said when he was leaving uh, uh, Jerusalem in Acts, and, and he says, I go back bound to that place, not, he said, knowing the things that befall me there. He knew he would be beheaded. He knew he would be persecuted. He had been through all of these things, but he watched, watched what he said, but none of these things move me. To overcome the dirt suggests this, that my eyes are fixed on the one who created me, who redeemed me, who loves me, who walks with me, who comforts me and guides me, and I'm not moved by the dirt and the affairs of this world. This place is not my home. I am merely a pilgrim passing through. Everybody said amen. But that's not the message. That's another one. Overcoming the dirt is based upon this premise. In the parable of the sower, there is a mention of a sower who goes forth to sow seed 
and then it's sown on four different types of soil or dirt. Now, so in reality, this should really be called a parable of the soil, which is where the message comes from, overcoming the dirt. Now, why do you say that? It's very important to understand that our number one divine mandate under God's Word is to share our faith. It's mentioned in five times in Scripture, each of the Gospels. It's mentioned again in Acts 1 and verse 8. The last words Jesus spoke before He ascended on high to be seated at the right hand of honor by the Father. But watch what happens. He said, you are to be my witnesses. You're to go out to preach the gospel. Listen, it's not a mandate that is one we can kind of look upon and go, I think I may do that. Or maybe that's for the evangelist. Or maybe that's for the missionary. Guess what, guys? That is our number one divine mandate upon, watch this, all the other things are subsets of. Here's what I mean by that. You can never walk by grace until you have first been saved. You cannot claim the the power of the Holy Spirit in your life until you have first received salvation by the finished work of the cross. You will never, ever, ever be able to love people with the love manifested of the love of Jesus. What did he say? You want to tell if you're my disciples, then you can do so by the way you love people. You will never serve tables until you first receive the presence of the Holy Spirit through salvation. All of the other mandates in Scripture hinge on this one thing. Jesus Christ, Him crucified, resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father, living in me, alive and well today through the presence of salvation in my life. And here's what I believe to be true today. Oftentimes, we place a lot of emphasis on the sower. The sower in this particular passage, this parable, in fact, is the first parable that Jesus wrote in Matthew 13. A lot of parables follow this one. This is somewhat of a a paradigmatic uh, parable, which means that all of the other parables flow out of this one premise. He spoke a lot about farming. He spoke a lot about fishing. He spoke about things in parables, meeting people where they were. When he spoke about the sower and the seed, watch this. The sower doesn't change. The sower is Jesus. And when you and I receive salvation, we operate under the power of the Holy Spirit, so that doesn't change. The seed is the Word of God. Aren't you glad today that it's a time? message it doesn't change either the reality though is the dirts change the receiver changes so here's where we can got to be careful if we come at evangelism from a prospect of bringing forth the most savvy the most well-spoken orator of evangelists, we're putting the emphasis on the sower when it's not you. If you're sowing seed, watch what happens. It is only by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that you're able to say anything. David and I say this all the time. Do you know when we sit and meet together in staff meetings, he and I don't sit down and run numbers and figure out how to grow the church. That is God's business to grow the church. You know what our business is? It's to be a messenger. And watch what the Bible says. The Bible calls what I'm doing right here today foolishness yet the word of god paul said which is the seed is the power unto salvation for those who what receive it so the messenger doesn't change it may change a face but it's under the influence of the holy spirit the seed absolutely never changes it is timeless a lot of the things that we think we have to do to make this word relevant can i tell you something you can't make the word of god irrelevant it's not changing So the only thing that changes, and this is why this is important to you and I today, is I think it's important for us as we go out to share our faith, to fulfill the Great Commission, that we understand that there are different types of receptions that we will get from different types of people. So I want to read a few verses with you. If you will, turn your Bibles to Matthew 13. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. 
And it says, and he spake many things unto them in parables, speaking about Jesus. In fact, he spoke somewhere around 10 in the book of Matthew, 2 in the book of Mark, and another 14 in the book of Luke. None in the book of John. You got Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. They speak somewhat of the same language. John just cuts to the chase and goes straight to the majesty of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Don doesn't, John doesn't get into any of the lineage. He doesn't get into any of the healing of lepers. He doesn't use any parables. He just cuts straight to the majesty of God. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke use parables. In fact, it, it, it actually consists of a about one-third of Jesus' teachings. But let me tell you something. Parables were not used to necessarily open up new truth. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus speaking through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9, he said some will see and they won't perceive. Some will hear or they won't understand. Can I tell you guys, that's the same thing going on today. Parables were actually used to conceal truths. Why do you say that, Mark? Here's why. Because the mystery of God cannot be discerned by someone on the outside of salvation found through Jesus Christ operating through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way this word is understandable and applied and can change lives is when I can understand it and apply it based on the Holy Spirit who comforts and guides me and lives in me. Amen? Aside from that, it's confusing. Aside from that, it doesn't make any sense. When I approach this word, I have to do so with fear and trembling, realizing that it holds the key to every question that I may have in the entire world. But for those who see and don't perceive and those who hear and don't understand... Here's what he says. And he spake many unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and he sowed some seeds that fell by the wayside. And the fowls came and devoured them. Some fell upon stony or rocky places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness or depth of the earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground. Everybody say good ground. Say it again. Say good ground. But some fell into good ground and brought forth, I love this, much fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirtyfold. In verse 9, this is what he says. He that has an ear, let him hear. Here's what he's saying. Do you really hear what I just said? That is a fancy way of saying, did you really understand Jesus saying what I just spoken to you? There are four types. The first one. If we're going to overcome the dirt, and we have to because, guys, our mandate is to share the gospel. Isn't it interesting that when the Jewish people received, quote-unquote, Jesus on the day that he came into Jerusalem, into the holy city, they did so with a waving of palms and, and, and putting down literally leaves in front of him so that he would not even walk upon the sand, oftentimes even taking off their cloak and throwing it in front of him as a sign of adoration. Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Yet the same people one week later said crucify him. The Bible says it this way, broad is the way. Many will find that way that leads into the world and to destruction. But narrow is the way, and few therein find it that lead to salvation. Let me tell you something, guys. This is a true testament to where we live in our culture today. There's a lot of people today that are hearing the same message that has transformed your life and set you free. And they're looking at it and going, I don't get it. Herein leads us to the parable of the soils. Number one, the first type of soil is the wayside or pathway soil. This is hard soil that if you would have looked into the time that this was written, there would have been trails probably about the size of this aisle, maybe a little smaller, that would have traversed all of the, the different fields 
that would have grown the harvest, where the seeds would have been sown. The seeds would have been sown in cultivated soil, as we're going to see here in a moment. But in between all of these different furrows, there might have been little traverses, little pathways. And the farmers, when they would take the seed into the areas of, of sowing the seed, they would drop little pieces of seeds upon the hun, uh, the, the hard, impenetrable soil, the pathway, the wayside, if you will. And what he's saying is some will fall by that path and watch what happens. The birds will see it and will come and collect it. It won't penetrate it. There are some of us today, maybe even in this room, that are literally like the soil that's by the wayside you hear the same message that everyone else is hearing but you're so hard and impenetrable because of the hurts and the affairs of this world perhaps a, a diligent effort to get out of that has often brought you back into a place of sin and you're so hard and calloused let me t- let me say something to you our world today has become absolutely callous to the affairs of this world if you go back, and I've said this many, many times, you go back in the 1950s on the Ed Sullivan show when Elvis Presley stepped out and, and was actually, and I use this word loosely, he was crucified, if you will, for, for dancing and quote-unquote gyrating his hips so they had to film him from the waist up. Guys, that's not been that long ago. Look at what you see today. They use God's name in vain on TV. You see everything uh, beyond the scope of anything you could have fathomed 50 years ago. Go back to Gone with the Wind, the first mention of any curse word. Look how far we've come. Aren't we doing great we now live in a calloused hard sin-ridden society the bible told us through the apostle paul writing to timothy that that's exactly what we were going to see in perilous times we're going to come men will have itching ears wanting the preachers to tell them what they want to hear let me tell you something guys if it doesn't come from this book you're not going to hear it doesn't matter what anyone thinks it's about this word. It's about that seed that's being sown. But watch this. The hard ground represents today someone who is hardened and cannot understand the word. So what happens is it goes out. It's heard, but it's not understood. It's seen, but it's not perceived. And the enemy, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren comes by and sweeps it up and it's forever gone and it will never change your life. There are some people in this life that you're going to share your faith with that will look at you with a blank, absolute, dark stare in their eyes and they're never going to receive the gospel. Mark, wait a minute. Are you, are you placing on them a, a death sentence? I'm speaking the word of God to you. He says, there are people. I don't care what you do. Look at the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man died, and the Bible says, and in hell. And he looked across the gulf, and he saw uh, Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. And he said, hey, just let him come and dip his finger in, in the water and put it on my tongue that the torment may cease just for a moment. And then he says, hey, send somebody back so that they may tell my brothers about what's going on. He says, hey, if they won't believe the prophets, they won't even believe somebody who's come out of the grave. The reality is is there are some people in this life that just will never embrace the gospel. And I know they don't sit well with us. Mark, should I give up on the person? I'm... No, don't you ever give up. You keep on praying. What are you praying? You pray for God to go in and plow up that hard soul. Let me tell you something. If you look at those, if you look at those traverses, those paths, they can be used, but the only way they can be used is for somebody to come along and plow it up and till it up. You say, what are you talking about? I'm saying you and I, we have to prepare the soil. We have to love a person that's unlovable. I would like nothing better for people to walk into this place on a Sunday morning and pack it out from top to bottom that look different than you, that smell different than you, that may have come out of the, the club at 4 a.m. in the morning, that walk in here looking and smelling and that, because that's what Jesus died for. Jesus said, I didn't come to to save the righteous or set them free. Oh, no, no. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Man, God, and maybe God just spoke this in my spirit. 
Don't you ever, ever, ever become so tried and pious that you look down your nose at somebody who looks different, who worships different, who acts different, who smells different. Because it's that smell that Jesus went to the cross for. But there are some impenetrable hearts out there. Secondly, not only is there those that fall by the wayside, there's a second type of soil, and that's the rocky soil. It's a shallow soil. Perhaps if you could picture a, a, a three or four inch good dirt soil packed on top of a rock. And then that, that, that seed falls and it begins to germinate very quickly. The roots begin to grow, but then they hit that rock and they begin to, to turn upwards. They can't go to the depth that they need to go to. There's no depth in there. It's the emotional hearer. You've seen them. You've seen that person walk in here, run down the aisles, give their life to Jesus. And not just in here, but in church. If you've been in church any amount of time, that emotional, they come in, they step in, they, they feel like they got it. Everything's changing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. They're bringing all the people. In six months, they're gone back into the world. They heard it. They received it in a sense. But watch this. It never took root. And then they spring forth and watch this. And then the sun comes out and scorches them. Interesting to note. The same sun that scorches those with soft, tender, very shallow roots that kills them is the same sun that will come forth to bring life to those who are deeply rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all a matter of the dirt. Now watch this. There was a young boy who had lost his left arm in a terrible car accident. And one of the things his parents and some of his teachers thought might help him out a lot was to go and to take a, a class of, of judo. And they found this guy in, in New York City who was just phenomenally known as being a sensei over judo. He was one of the greatest craftsman teachers, just methodical about doing it. and could teach kids really well. He was a team builder. And they thought, since he lost his left arm, he can't do a whole lot. So we're going we're gonna to send him in and let him take these classes. So the judo sensei received him with, with open arms and, and brought him in and began to teach him this move. And several months went by, and the boy somehow got enough urgency in him to ask him one day. He said, great sensei, why are you teaching me only one move? Can I not get past this point? He says, you only need this one move. And the boy just kind of digressed out of respect for his sensei. And for another few months, several months went by, constantly every day just pouring in him this one move, this one move over and over and over. So finally, about 11 months into this practice, he said, you're ready for your first tournament. So he enrolled him in his first tournament, and his first two uh, combatants that came against him, he beat them easily with that one move. No problem. Just took them down. Everything was fine. He got to his third one. It was a little bit more difficult, and, and maybe even at one point, it looked like he was kind of turning in the opposer's favor. But then at one point, that opposer dropped his guard, and when he did, that one move came out and a perfect attack, perfect initiation, and he took the guy down and pinned him, and he won that one. So now he goes to the finals. This guy was much bigger, much more seasoned, a veteran. And he goes out before him, and he's a little nervous, and he begins to fight. And, and, and shortly thereafter, the referee even steps in and calls a timeout and calls him over the corner to the sensei. And he said, listen, I really feel like this guy is going to get, he's going to beat the brakes off of your boy. He is just, he's killing him, man. And he said, no, don't you stop it. Don't you stop it. He looked at that boy, and he said, you remember what I taught you. And the boy's thinking, dude, you taught me one thing. He gets back out there. And sure enough, that big guy. 
tactician. He just, I mean, everything about judo he knew, and he's coming at him. And at one point, he comes in, and he turns and drops his guard, and the boy executes that one move perfectly, takes him down, and wins the championship of the entire tournament. He gets in the car, and he's riding home with the sensei. And they go over each particular fight and what happened and what the guy, the opponent, did wrong and how that one move just kept on taking him out. And the boy summoned up yet again another set of energy to look at him. He said, Sensei, he said, you were right. He said, but why just this one move? He said, well, I'll tell you why. He said, the move that I taught you is absolutely the greatest move in all of judo. He said, no, there's one other thing. The only offensive, defensive that you can use for the opponent, opponent against this one move is to grab your left arm. And he had no left arm. So he took the very thing that had become his greatest weakness, capitalized on it, and became a champion. Mark, what does that mean? See, the hope is, is that when you look at this rocky soil and that person that has sown their roots into just a small amount of dirt, <clears throat> they'll believe every whim and everything that comes along. And they'll start trying to sow their, their roots in other things. You know what? We've talked about this on Wednesday night. My, my undergraduate degree is in apologetics. I can tell you a lot about Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. And I can tell you about Catholicism. And I can sit there and tell you all of that. So, Mark, here's what we need to do to share faith. We need to go out and we need to learn all of these others so we can carry on a good dialect when somebody comes to my door, somebody comes to my house, or when I have communion with another friend that's of another religion. Oh, no, 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 you don't need to do that at all. You know what you need to do? You need to be like the treasury agents, the the federal agents for the U.S. Treasury who are fighting against counterfeiting. Let me tell you what they don't do. What they don't do is bring in every type of counterfeit, lay it out on this big table, get in a room and study all the fakes that are ever made, that are ever out there so they can acknowledge it. No, they bring one currency, the real thing, the authentic thing. They put it on the table. They study it inside, out, backwards, forwards, the feel, the smell, everything about it. And when they know it so well, they can spot a counterfeit a million miles away. You see, our heart is to know this book frontwards, backwards, inside, out. In fact, let it engraft into your spirit the one thing which oftentimes you consider your greatest weakness. You do it. I've done it. How many of you, just by a show of hands, to kind of make me feel a little bit better about myself, you study or read the Word of God and you're more confused than when you first picked it up. Come on, get it up there. I mean, I get so lost in the these and the thou wits and the four, I'm not going, just talk English. But when you... Bury and root yourself in the person of Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. And you pray this prayer. God, reveal to me the truths found in your word. He will open up the windows of heaven and you will begin to receive. You'll be able to call forth. You'll be able to live under the power that's found in this book, the power under salvation. The Bible says faith. Come out here and hear by the word of God. There are no, there are no other efforts just rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. The rocky soil, unfortunately, represents a person who is rooted in a head knowledge of Jesus but never received into the heart. And when the trials of life come, they scorch them out. They crash and burn. The third type is that on thorny soil. This probably comes to somewhat of a crescendo of the biggest concern I have today 
outside of in our culture in the outside the church because the reality is is the weeds or the thorns <clears throat> represent the curse of this world <clears throat> i don't know if you know this or not but when god created the earth he did so in a perfect manner so that man would have lived forever walking with god in the cool of the day in the garden he would have eaten from the tree of life he would have lived forever he would have walked literally and i say this respectfully naked hand in hand with his wife procreating bringing forth children everything in perfect harmony but when man saw the one thing that he could not have, that is the very thing that he went after. And guys, that same paradigm follows us today. It's interesting. We can tell our kids, you can play on this, you can do that, you can, but from the moment they're born, they want to touch the one thing that they're not supposed to. I'll prove it to you. Have a child and let them get near something that's hot. I mean, it's like drawing. Have you noticed how fire does that? Draw, don't you touch it. And they're like, I'm not. And then they turn away and they're like reaching again. They know that innately in them. It is born in them. And you and I are the same way. And when, when curse entered the world and man fell... One of the cursings was that of thorns on a rose. A rose, perhaps one of the most one of the most beautiful plants, flowers, the aroma. And yet every time you grab the stem of a rose, you grab onto the thorns, which represents the curse of this world. You can't take your hand and rub it up a stem of a beautiful rose and pull it from the ground without being pricked and the blood being shed as a reminder of the curse can only be lifted by the person of Jesus Christ, the rose of Sharon. Now watch this. Let's go one step further. When these seeds are broadcast among the thorny soil, watch what happens. It takes root. But then as time goes on, and it becomes difficult. And guys, it's difficult to live for Jesus. Amen? The thorns, the affairs, the pleasures, the lust, the money, the fame, the fortune. They become fed because that's what culture wants you to have. That's what the enemy wants you to have. It's a curse. And it becomes fed so much so that it rises up and literally chokes out the beautiful harvest that could come. See, here's why that's important. Jesus said it this way. There was a young man who came to him. The Bible refers to him as a rich man, a rich young ruler. And he came, and the Bible says that he ran up to him, Ronnie, and he, and he fell. And, and he says, oh, good master, what must I do? He acknowledged, watch this, he ran to Jesus. He was emotional. He knew who he was. He acknowledged him as Adonai. He acknowledged him as a great teacher, as perhaps the Messiah. He kneels before him as a picture of adoration and, and worship. And he said, what must I do? And Jesus gives the answer of, of five of the Ten Commandments, and he lists them, and he, and he begins to give them that. And he goes, oh, praise God, great, I've done all of these things. See, he was dependent upon the law. That was easy for him to do, he said. But watch this. He said, oh, but there's one thing you lack. It's almost as if the rich boy was walking off going, I got it, I got it. And then he says, oh, no, 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 check it out. You, you got one thing that you're lacking. Take all you have, sell it, and give it to the least of these. The Bible says about that young boy, called in the same fashion as the publican, as the fisherman, as the Pharisee, yet he walked away saddened, greatly saddened, because he was holding on to the thorns of this world. And you see, the Bible says this, it would be easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it would be for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
You say, Mark, so there's anything wrong with having money? Oh, no, there's nothing wrong with having money. In fact, here's what I believe to be true. When money is no longer the object of your affection, that's when I believe God can trust you with it. But watch this. If you're sitting there today and you're not tithing and you're not investing and you're not giving offering and you're not sowing into God's kingdom, guess what happens? God is not going to bless you with a winning lottery ticket so you can learn earn more to be unfaithful with. If God can't trust you with a little, he is never going to trust you with greatness. And see, here's the thing. He goes on to say, what, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and he loses his own soul? You see, that is the position that we find under. In fact, Matthew 6 and 24, same gospel. No one can serve two masters. Now, I want you to situate yourself next to the thorns of this world for just a moment as I read this passage. Matthew 6 and 24. I want you to position yourself as the seed of God has been deposited into your heart. And you have heard it, you've seen it, you've received it, and now it's getting ready to bring forth, what? Some type of growth that's going to produce a fruit because that's the end hope. And listen to these words for just a moment. No one can serve two masters, for one will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money there represents anything that's dealing with lust or any superficial desire that you may have outside the auspices of Jesus Christ. He says you can't serve two masters. If you wake up in the morning and your first encounter is thinking about going and counting and balancing your checkbook and you all right, right, past the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ, your focus is on the wrong thing. And let me say it this way. There was an article written that I read. It was in the Wall Street Journal. Interviewing six top executives, all earning six-figure incomes or above. And the question was simply posed to them, What is your greatest fear? Literally as if they were all sitting in the room together, their answers were absolutely synonymous. You know what they said? My greatest fear is that I will not have enough money. Get your head around that for just a moment. The Bible tells me that I've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know what my greatest fear is? If you want to say what my greatest, my greatest fear is that when I stand before God, I don't hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. <clears throat> you can have the silver and gold. Just give me Jesus. In fact, <clears throat> there's a song that was written in 1922 by Ray Miller. <clears throat> I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than to have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. You can have the gold. I'll take the glory, the glory of God. You can have the accolades, the attaboys. I'll take the anointing. Oh, I say this loud and clear. Pastor David, I know we talk about this all the time. You can have the crowd. Just give me the cross. The hope 
that you and I have. And why do you, why do you park on this, Mark? Because 90%, watch this, guys. Please don't miss this. 90% of the church today has literally found themselves right in the middle of thorns. They're growing, but watch what happens. When it really comes against you and all hell turns against your family, the thorns are the things that have been fed, and it's going to grow, and it's going to choke the life out of you. I hear it all the time. People say, man, I'm just burning out. Well, bless God, you better not burn out. There's no such thing in the economy of God's Word that says burn out. Stephanie and I were riding home the other night, and we heard the Joy FM. I don't remember the girl who was talking. And she, she said she was complaining to God in her prayer. And she said, God, you know what? I just This person is talking about me. This person is harming me. This person is saying all these things. And you know what? It frustrates me to no end. And I'm getting so tired of what this person's doing to me. God, can't you vindicate me? Can't you take over? Can't you do this? And, and it's almost like she said, the Holy Spirit came back and spoke and said, hey, check this out. When your best friend takes out a contract on your life and follows through with it and murders you, then you come talk to me, God said. Because that's what happened to our Savior. You see, Jesus, Jesus walked with men and loved men. He healed the lepers. He opened blinded eyes. He raised the dead. If you're a child of the Most High God today, He raised you from the dead. How in the world could you possibly burn out? If you do, hear me. Hear me, church member. And I'm just going to qualify this. And I pray in the name of Jesus that this finds your heart today. If you tell me you can burn out, then you are the third type of soil. And your heart is growing among thorns. And the things and the people of this world have affected you so much greater than the things of God. And watch what happens. You may not really have it. Why do you say that, Mark? The fourth soil is a good soil. Good ground. And the thing that sets this particular soil apart from all the others, you know what it is? It said out of this soil spring up life. And it brought forth fruit. Some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Listen to me. What is our mandate? It's to bring forth fruit. You're not on this this world and in this life just to come in here and to sit and be fed let me let me, let me get out here with you you're not here in this life and coming to church and going here bless me man come on fill me up so i can go out there and have a great week no 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 you are being equipped today by the power of the word of god to go out and to make a difference <laughs> and here's the thing here's the hope that we have is that if I receive the word of God as the good soil, that there will be fruit. And watch this. Every fruit has something in it. It's not just something for me to feast on. God doesn't want you to just come in here and feast on the word of God and go out and go, man, this is awesome. I am, I'm a child of the king. I mean, here's what we do. We preach the word of God and talk about prosperity. And we talk about hope. And we talk about healing and all this stuff. And people are just writing, man. They're just writing notes left and right. And then I get in here and say, good, I'll see you Wednesday night because we're going to share our faith door to door. And everybody goes, they close the book and go, he's not talking to me. Let me tell you something. The fourth soil brings forth fruit. Something real special about fruit. It not only offers, offers food for the hungry, but watch what else it does. When I get through eating it, guess what's left over at the core? There's seed. I become a participant. 
birthing forth out of my fruit a new seed that's going to be deposited in other types of soil to bring forth more fruit that would yield more seed that would be deposited that would bring forth. That's discipleship. 272 times disciple is mentioned in the Word of God. Do you know why? Because the first step is salvation. The rest of your life is based upon making disciples. And the last thing, how do I get that? Plato, one of the greatest philosophers among many, a young boy, a student, went to him one day, and here's what he said. How can I get great knowledge and wisdom as you, Plato? He says, come with me. He took him down by the riverbank. Plato walked out in the water. He says, follow me. And he walked out into the water behind him. He said, now I want you to go under the water. The young student just looking at Plato, wanting the wisdom, desiring with his whole heart. He went under the water. And when he did, Plato grabbed him by his shirt and held him under with all of his strength. And the boy kicked and the boy screamed and the bubbles coming up. And he kept holding him there. He couldn't break forth. And he kept holding him there and kept holding him there. And at the moment where the boy began to lose his strength in his fight, or at that very moment, he let him go. And the boy sprung up and he was, and he's breathing. He said, when you get the desire to, to have wisdom and knowledge the way you had desire to breathe that air, then you will have it. So here's my point to you and I. When you get the desire to breathe in and to breathe out the person of Jesus, the same way that that boy was breathing in the air that he was breathing, then and only then do you have yourself rooted in the person of Jesus. You will bring forth fruit. All the other other things of this world won't matter you will just simply say give me Jesus I don't need the world I don't need the cross I mean the crowd I want the cross every head bowed and every eye closed today what kind of soul are you what kind of soul are you are the affairs of this world choking out the life of you church member take yourself into the depth and the breadth of a holy God Breathing in the precious air of the gospel. Nothing moves you. The affairs of this world don't drive you. You can be in the world and not be of it. Only when you root yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. Fully, wholeheartedly, with a reckless abandon. Nothing can take that from me. And nothing can take that from you. Your child of God today, you've been saved, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Just by showing of hands, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you know that you know that you know, if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. I want you to lift your hand right now. Lift it up high. If you know it, if you know it, you can put your hands down. Some hands, quite a few hands have not gone up. What kind of soil have you been? Because today, you here's the presence of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. Here it is. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death, Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life. The gospel message suggests that everything Jesus did has been counted unto you as righteousness. Now you can be saved. You can be redeemed. Can you do that today by asking Jesus into your heart? Romans 10.13, whosoever shall believe and call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray with me right now from your heart to God if you'd like to be saved today? Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, will you save me? Help me to live for you all the days of my life. 
Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed today and asked Jesus Christ into your heart, would you right now, boldly, unashamedly, without any personal debate, lift your hand up right now and say, I pray. God bless you. Anyone else? Listen. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. Anyone else? Lift your hand up real quick. Come back down. God bless you, sir. Here's what I want to do. You want to really deposit your roots into some deep soil? It starts right now. Not tomorrow. Not when you get home. Not next week when you build up the courage. There are men and women down front of the church that are just prayer warriors. I'm going to pray with you. Jesus was not ashamed of you when he went to the cross at the peak of Passover with everyone looking on, naked, half beaten to death, and he went to the cross with you on his mind, and he died, and he said, it is finished, and it was settled for all eternity. And today, you that have asked Jesus into your heart, are you ashamed of him? Say, Mark, you're really putting a lot of charge on me. You know what? I want you to take a step for him today. So here's what I'm going to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed and asked Jesus in your heart, I just want you to come pray with one of these guys. That's it. So I'm going to count to three. No one's looking. Don't worry about the person next to you, behind you. Hey, you may set revival off in their life. They may be waiting for you to move. But at least three hands went up and said, I asked Jesus in my heart. And we're going to celebrate when you step forward today. And all you're doing, you're not joining anything. You're just praying. So I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that God would get all over you and you won't be able to sit still if you wanted to. So here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, if you ask Jesus in your heart, come right now. One of these men and one of these women will pray for you. That's it.